Tonight's episode of Legacy Battle is brought to you by Atlas Benefits. Atlas Benefits has solutions for your insurance needs. Atlas Benefits can help you obtain Medicare, health, or life insurance, and employee benefits. You can find them on the web at www.atlasbenefits.com. Or you can contact Rob Ducey or Roy Smith at 727-600-2892 and mention Legacy Battle Podcast. Atlas Benefits has all the solutions for your insurance needs. Enjoy the show. is legacy battle coming at you on facebook youtube spotify google podcasts you can sponsor the show contact us in the comments section michael adams here creator legacy battle joining me tonight from the gridiron battle zone brian king penn state collegiate all-star kevin adams ball state athlete paul habakot and we're joined tonight by aba and nba world champion combined 12-time all-star nine-time all-first team and a second all-team He's an NBA scoring champion, steals leader, rookie of the year, finals MVP, and he's a member of the NBA's 50th anniversary team, naming the 50 greatest players of all time, NBA Hall of Famer Rick Barry. Rick, thank you for joining us tonight. My pleasure. Damn, those last two years in Houston when I was willing to take a subservient role kind of screws up that introduction, doesn't it, you know? <laughs> Otherwise, 11-time, what the hell is that? Anyway, it's, it is what it is. And tonight we're, we're going we're to talk to Rick after the debate uh, about his career, but we're going to be debating the greatest NBA dynasty after the 60 Celtics because the, there's no point in debating the 60 Celtics. We all know 11 titles, probably the greatest ever. But we're going to start tonight with the 90s Bulls. Okay, I got the Bulls, and this was fun. I know there's been documentaries made of this, but uh, I found that they had this guy, this guy named Michael Jordan. His numbers are pretty good. This guy was pretty good. I don't know if you guys have heard of him. But uh, in the 90s, they owned it, I think. And so they're known for having one of the greatest NBA dynasties. They won six championships between 91 and 98. So what you've got here, I don't really want to spend a lot of time on this because I think they're the standout. But they've got two three-peats, 91 through 93, and then 96 through 98. But as a team, they do have some landmarks that were you know, that that were that stood out for many years, you know, after the 90s. They won 72 games during the 95-96 season, setting the NBA record. Now, Golden State ended up beating that with 73 games, I think, in 2015-2016. They were first team in NBA, NBA history to win 70 games or more in a single season. The only uh, NBA franchise to do so until the 2015-16 season. In 91, led by Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen, um, they end up kind of knocking off the Lakers. And that's like the, the people are going to say the handing off of the baton there. So it's kind of the, the end of the Showtime era and the beginning of the Bulls dynasty. After winning, you know, the Lakers five championships, of course, one less than, than the Bulls I'm talking about, um, we got 
this team in the Bulls that basically owns the 90s until like the the middle of it when uh, Michael Jordan kind of tries baseball out for a little bit and so they kind of fall off a little bit. So I think some of the arguments are going to be that some of the other teams attended more finals. They might not have won, but they appeared in more finals. You know, in full disclosure, our own legacy battle, Mike Adams, is kind of like thinking the Bulls aren't as good as the Magic Johnson-led 80s uh, Lakers. But I went to the trouble of kind of pooling some of the records of the teams they beat. So it just depends on, I guess, what side of the fence you're on. You know, Michael Jordan and the Bulls and Scottie Pippen and you know, they're contending with stars just like the 80s were. They, you know, the Trailblazers had Clyde Drexler. 91 still had Magic Johnson, even though he was he was aging. You got the Phoenix Suns by, you know, led by Marley and Barkley. Uh, they got to go through Sean Kemp at the height of his talent. Carl Malone, John Stocks, and a, Stockton and a jazz team. And so, like, in 91, that was probably the second to worst record that they faced. It was like 58 and 24 for the 91 Lakers, 92 Trailblazers who they beat at were 57 and 25, 93 Suns were 62 and 20, 96 Sonics were 57 and 25, excellent defensive team. Uh, the, the Jazz was 64 and 18 and 62 and 20 and 97 and 98 when they had to play them twice. So I think that like, for the sake of the argument in terms of dynasties after the Celtics, you know, for people that try to find a reason to kind of vote against Jordan, I think they got to kind of pick and uh, pull up some stuff that might be a stretch. But for my money, two three-peats and basically what a lot of people think of when they think of dynasties, I think the Bulls are, are it. Oh, my God. All I can say is thank God you said you are going to give a short answer. <laughs> I was, should have been two minutes, right? I think that was two minutes. Let, let, let me ask you, Rick. I mean, everybody other than the Jazz that they played was a one-and-done team. It, in my opinion, they didn't have another dynasty to contend with like the other teams we're talking about tonight. I mean, do you, do you feel that way too? Well, to be honest with you, I didn't do the kind of research you guys all did. But certainly the Showtime Lakers are a team that have to be considered. Uh, unfortunately. Fortunately, the Warriors could have had five in a row, but that's a whole other story. Yeah. Um, they would have been up there, uh, ranked up there as well. And, and the other ones that won some titles and stuff, but they, they couldn't seem to do it. They had to do it like every other year for a while, of course, with the San Antonio Spurs. Um, but certainly the Bulls were an unbelievable team. I mean, they had two incredible players. When Michael got Scotty, they were amazing. I, the thing about it is, is, I don't think overall, I think there were some other teams that had better talent. Um, during the course of that and some of those other wonderful teams you talked about. But I, I love watching the Lakers because that's the kind of basketball I love to play, push it up the floor, showtime stuff, playing with somebody like Magic Johnson. And then some of those other teams underachieve. I always thought that the Jazz underachieved. I, can I ask Rick a question, Mike? Because this is to your point. So, Rick, in your opinion, so like Mike's, where Mike's coming from is because they played different teams except for the Jazz, they played them twice, it's an easier road. My thoughts are, if you're always going up, you know, like let's say the Jazz, they played four times. You kind of know how to prepare for that team. You know what their strengths are. You know what their weaknesses. Now, they may add players or a player may be injured. But if you're playing four times over different teams, you're researching different teams and having to get to know new strengths and, and, and try to match up. Like, 
where your strengths are. So I think there's sort of a disadvantage of playing a different team every year. Well, let me just think. I, here's the thing I say about this. First of all, yeah, the dynasty there, they're the dynasty during their time. It's kind of like, are you going to compare Shaq to Will Chamberlain? They played at different times during his time. Shaq was the most dominant center during his time. Wilt was the most dominant center. During the 90s, the Bulls were the most dominant team. During the 80s, the Lakers were. I mean, so that that's really the answer that you get into. You can't compare apples to oranges. All right. All right, let's move on to the uh, – Let's. well, we brought up the Showtime Lakers. Let's move on to them. All right, the 80s Lakers. Um, this team already had legend uh, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar on the roster. And then they really became serious contenders in 1979 when they drafted Magic Johnson. Uh, Magic was the heart and soul of this dynasty. Uh, Paul Westhead took over as coach, and the Lakers won it all in 1980 uh, over Dr. J and the Sixers. Uh, and the, the big moment in that season was a game six of the finals when, uh, when Magic came in for an injured Kareem Abdul-Jabbar at center and scored 42 points in game six. I broadcast that, that game. I did, oh, the color. Right. I did the color on that game. Mm -hmm. So then, um, you know, get back to the Lakers. The, the team's fast breaks, Magic's amazing, uh, no look passes. Uh, just the overall exciting play was exactly what owner Jerry Buss wanted, and they were dubbed the Showtime Lakers. Uh, West Hood began to lose the team, however, and, and he was replaced by Pat Riley. And we all know Pat Riley, he, he, he you know, became a legendary coach. Um, they also added James Worthy, and the Lakers again bested Dr. J's Sixers for the championship in 1982. Uh, they won the Western Conference in 83 and 84, and then finally beat the hated Boston Celtics in 1985 for their third title of the decade. Um, that was significant because the, the, the Celtics had just owned them before that. Um, I think it was something they were 0-8 or something against them, and, and then they finally were able to uh, overcome and exercise that demon. Uh, they would go on to win it all in 87 and 88, becoming the first team to go back-to-back -back since the 60s Celtics. Uh, they also got to the finals in 1989, but unfortunately both Byron Scott and Magic Johnson were injured, uh, so they fell to Detroit's bad boys. Uh, also in 1987, uh, something that was just amazing was they set the NBA record for allowing the fewest points in the first quarter of a game. At the end of the first quarter, it was Lakers 40, Kings 4. If you get a chance to check it out on YouTube, it's just an amazing quarter of, of, of just the vintage Showtime Lakers with all the fast breaks and all the big plays. It's amazing. So in the decade of the 80s, half of the seasons, they won its title. And then they were in the finals 8 out of 10 during that decade. Um, so completely dominated. And then, the you know, the Magic Bird, Celtics, Lakers uh, rivalry, um, it really drove up the ratings for the NBA and really got a lot more fans to put closer attention on the basketball. So it not only was it a great dynasty, it just did so much for the sport in general. So, Rick, we got Magic, Kareem, Worthy, Byron Scott. Is, is there a weakness anywhere on that team? No, that's why I was saying earlier that, uh, you know, there were teams that had better teams. I mean, this is a team with more way more talent than Chicago Bulls. Um, I mean, just an amazing group of uh, of individuals that collectively were one of the best teams in the history of the NBA, and obviously dominated the '80s. They were they were really something special. 
What were your thoughts when they made the coaching change to go with Pat Riley? Were you expecting them to be successful at that point? I really didn't know. I mean, it was an unknown. I mean, he went from the broadcast booth to being the coach, and uh, it worked out pretty well for him. I mean, Eric Spolster is another guy who went from being a video recorder guy for the team and wound up being a really good coach for the Miami Miami Heat. Just don't know. Uh, that's that's the beauty of sports, that, that things are unknown. Um, and certainly in basketball, I tell people, I wouldn't bet a nickel on a basketball game. Hell, I've been there. I know what can happen. I mean, just our championship in 75 is a perfect example of that. Paul, it was your Bulls that ended the Lakers' streak, let's say, their dynasty. Um, you know, also had partially to do with Magic having to retire due to his HIV. Do you think uh, maybe that we would have had a rematch if, if Magic was there that next year? Because that uh, was at Portland, right? The first year was the Lakers. And then the second year was the Lakers. The second year was Portland with Clyde Drexler. Right. So I guess to your, your question would be, you know, would would the Lakers have been able to knock off Portland that second year? So there's a lot of stuff there, you know. Okay, so youth over age, you know, would Magic have been, you know, what what are you asking? Or like, are you asking if Magic didn't have to retire because of the reason he had to retire? Or like, if he if he was just healthy or you know aging? If he's just aging, I think they would have knocked off the the Trailblazers. But I think if it would have been like it was in real life. There would just been too much surrounding that to ever let them be a contender again. That's my opinion on it. Right. Well, let's move on to the other Lakers team that's on here tonight for the dynasties. <clears throat> yeah, 2000s, <clears throat> we took the uh, reins from the Bulls team. Um, so from 2000, 2010, um, no other NBA team experienced more success than this team uh, at that time. They won five championships, appeared in another two, so they're in a total of seven. They dominated the first decade of the 2000s, um, had one of, if not the, best coach in Phil Jackson, who was very successful with, with Paul's Chicago team, comes over to the Lakers, continues that success. Um, they had, I feel, a harder road than these other teams that we're talking about tonight, with exception of possibly the Spurs, because these the Spurs – and the Lakers, this Lakers team, they had to compete against each other. So we have two dynasties in the same time era, as opposed to the other Lakers and the Bulls. They really didn't have any other dynasty or, or top-notch teams well, that competed. Celtics. Lakers, Celtics. Celtics. Oh, that's true. That's true. I forgot about the Celtics. You're right. You're right. I did forget about the Celtics. All right. So you got me on that one. But anyways, so this, this Lakers team, they won about 590 games in the regular season in this time span. Uh, leading in those years, you had Kobe Bryant. You know, he was named NBA Player of the Decade by TNT and ESPN. One of the greatest players of all time, top five easily. MVP in 2008, finals MVP in 2009. Uh, in some of those years, the early 2000s, you had Shaq leading at, uh, the team at center. Um, he won MVP for those three finals from 2000 to 2002. Uh, so there's a three-peat there. They also had a repeat uh, later on in the, in the decade. Shaquille O'Neal was one of the most dominant players of all time at that time. 2000 uh, NBA Finals, he averaged 38 points, 16.7 rebounds, 2.7 blocks per game while shooting 61% in those finals. <clears throat> he was also the scoring champion in 2000. Paul Gasol got traded over to the Lakers in 2008. Um, he became a tougher player. He became better defensively, rebounding the ball better. 
He helped them win that 2009 title against Orlando and another title in 2010. You had some good support players uh, in this decade, Horace Grant, Lamar Odom, Rick Fox, Derek Fisher. You know, these players, they weren't maybe the best statistic, statistical players, um, but they were clutch when, it, when they needed to be. They had clutch defense. They had big shots. Uh, Fisher actually holds an NBA record for uh, three-point percentage in the NBA Finals, which not many people know. Um, so they finished first in six of these seasons, uh, never finished lower than fourth in that time span, and only missed the playoffs once. Uh, they won about a third of the Lakers' championships in that time span. Fueledbysports.com listed this team, or this decade, four of their teams in the top ten best Lakers of all time. Um, and then CBSSports.com did a top 12 Lakers championship team list, and they listed the 2000-2001 uh, team the best uh, in, out of the top 12 championship teams, and they had five total from this decade on that list. So I feel like the 2000-2010 Lakers definitely have a strong argument to be number one on this. Rick, is Phil Jackson have the best players, or is the triangle offense just that great of a scheme, in your opinion? No coach ever wins a title without great players. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Never. Listen, I mean, he's got to have some great players. Uh, uh, I think mean, Phil's fortunate enough to have them. But the thing is, other coaches had some of those great players and didn't get it done, like even with the Lakers. And it's just the way that he dealt with them. And it's, it's earning the respect of your players and getting them to buy into what it is you want them to do. However, when I, when I say that, a critical element of it is I'm not, I don't like system coaches. It's great if you can draft for your system. But you need to put in, an, especially offensively, you got to put in an offense that utilizes the talent and skills of your players to their fullest. And I've seen so many times, the greatest example I remember from back in my day was, and he was a hell of a shooter, it was Dale Ellis. Dale Ellis had to play in freaking modest system, which sucked for him. And he gets traded, and all of a sudden he leads the league in three-point shooting, becomes an all-star. I, I mean, it's just amazing how, how coaches sometimes destroy talent. And don't allow them to really blossom in what the, into what their capabilities are. I mean, I've seen it. I had to watch it with some of my sons that had chances to do things. But the, and I wish I was. I should have been more like Mr. Ball, you know, with some of my younger <laughs> yeah. boys. The guy, the guy did a hell of a job marketing his kids, man. So hats off to him. But, you know, so coaches need to, to do that. And then defensively. It's the same situation. Rick Pitino learned that. You can't try to make people play a defense that doesn't work for the talent that you have. And, and so that, that's, a, that's a critical thing for a coach, I think. Earn the respect of your players and then put in systems that are going to take advantage of the skills and talents that they have and then have good assistant coaches to help you in that chore. I would purchase a pair of Rick Berry shoes. <laughs> hey, let me tell you something. It's amazing to me how many teams don't have assistant coaches who were former players who really knew how to play the game the right way. I would never, if I was coaching in the NBA ever have an assistant coach to work with the players. That wasn't someone I had incredible respect for their knowledge of the game, who could teach them some of the finer points of the game to take them to new levels. I just, I, it's just mind numbing to me because I don't care how much these coaches study have been around the game. If you haven't played it at this level, there are things about the game that you do not know. I mean, I, I was this flabbergasted one time, but one of the coaches, my dear friend Clifford Ray, probably the best big man's coach that the NBA's ever had, 
uh, just amazing what he's did. This litany of players. I mean, I rest my case all the time on. He had Sean Bradley getting triple doubles in New Jersey. So I rest my case on that. <laughs> and it, the guy that had, I mean, it's it's just incredible when you start thinking about these things, how these guys, they, they just screw them up and they just don't use them properly. But anyway, I got off on a sidetrack with Clifford because that's a whole nother story. This is a guy that was treated like garbage by the NBA and should have been making tons of money. And he'd have guys that, Never played a game on the pro level, making a million dollars a year. He's the lowest paid guy in the staff. And what he did at Boston was unbelievable. And then get screwed and get two half shares of playoff money. How the hell do you let that happen if you're a coach? That's <laughs> pathetic. So anyway, coaches only win when they have great players. He may be able to get a team to get some more victories than they might have had you know, with his, with his ability to coach them and get them to do certain things, but he's never going to win it. He's not going to win a championship if he just, if, if, miraculously it can happen at times, but you got to have great players. Brian, let me ask you, uh, the Shaq-Kobe rivalry is legendary. If these two were able to coexist, I mean, are we talking more titles? It, that's really tough to say because – in some cases, I think that the friction actually motivated them to do better. And and in some cases, maybe it might have been detrimental, too. So it's, it's really, really difficult to say. I think really the only two guys that could answer that question, you know, truthfully would be either Kobe or Shaq. Um, you know, no, I'll answer it for you. Hell, yes, they would have won more titles. <laughs> Those two guys sitting in a rocking chair later in life going, thinking back, what the hell were we thinking about? They had a chance to be one of the, the most, like this discussion you're having here, one of the most dominant teams in the history of the league. Why would you give that up? Just like if I'm Kevin Durant, why would I leave the Golden State Warriors to be on a team that could be one of the yes. great teams of all time? Yeah, I just point. don't understand. I don't understand what goes on in some of these guys' heads. I mean, hell, I'd give up you know certain parts of my body to be able to be on some of those teams. I tried it in Houston, but it didn't work. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our final team tonight. That is the San Antonio Spurs. This dynasty went from 99 all the way to 2014. Uh, I kind of look at it in two different sections. The early years, you know, the Spurs had never won a title. Uh, and then in 99, they bring in uh, they bring in Daniels, Mario Eli, and from the Bulls, Steve Kerr, Mr. Three-Point, coach of the Warriors now, of course. And they're led, of course, by the Twin Towers, Tim Duncan, and the Admiral David Robinson, and sprinkle in a little Sean Elliott there too. He he was good for the early years. So, like I said, they take San Antonio to its first NBA title, beating the New York Knicks. Anytime you beat a New York team, you're going to be remembered. Beat them four games to one. And this was more. <laughs> yeah, true. This was Coach Popovich, Coach Popovich's first NBA title. Of course, he's one of the greatest coaches of all time in basketball history. So. Over the next few years, you know, Robinson retires, um, and that's when they start changing up the team a little bit. They bring in Tony Parker. They bring in uh, Manu Ginobili, and they win in 2003, 2005. Uh, they beat the defending champs, the Pistons, in 05. And then um, then they beat Kevin's Lakers. Uh, they're, they're the Pistons beat Kevin's Lakers the year prior. So they, they beat a team that the Lakers basically couldn't beat. And in 2007, they went again, sweeping LeBron James and the Cavaliers. And this is when people, right after that, kind of thought maybe that their championship window was was closing. 
they weren't making it to the finals. They had to contend with Dallas a little bit. Dallas had gotten pretty good there for a while. But then 2013, six years later after their last title, they make the finals again. Now they play Miami Heat in the big three. Now they lose that four games to three in the finals, but they made it. And then they go back the next year, play Miami again, and they beat them that time in 2014, and they crush them four games to one. So that's five championships and another appearance. So that's six NBA finals, which matches, uh, you know, the amount that the Bulls made as well. Bulls had one more win. I'll give them that. But, um, you know, they always had to compete against Kevin's Lakers, which was a, which was always a tough team. And Dallas, I said, you know, they were pretty good too. When you look at the players, Robinson's Hall of Fame, Duncan's Hall of Fame, Kerr and Robert Ory were like some of the most clutch shooters of all time. Tony Parker, he has a 93.8% probability of going to the Hall of Fame. So he's going to the Hall of Fame. Ginobili, in my opinion, should be in the Hall of Fame if we're taking his entire career, but he spent so much time overseas, he's probably not going to get in the NBA Hall of Fame, but he's a Hall of Famer in my opinion. And then just in the earlier years, you got Bruce Bowen, greatest defender, one of the greatest defenders in NBA history in my opinion. He's five-time all-defensive team, three-time all-second team. And they also, in the later years, they had, they had soon-to-be one-day Hall of Famer Kawhi Leonard. So just a great dynasty that, that circled a long time period, but it was always centered around Tim Duncan, who was just I, – I put him in the, the top 50 players of all time for sure. Um, I love the Spurs. They were the, the little town. You know, they weren't the big city. And they gave hope to a lot of uh, other teams out there that had never won before and, and weren't, you know, the big the big time L.A., New York, Boston, Chicago. So – Rick, uh, what's your thoughts on uh, the Twin Towers there with, with Robinson and Duncan and, and just that Spurs dynasty? Yeah, well, they, they that's what I say. I mentioned it earlier that they're the team for their time. They were the team. I mean, I, I love that team, the way that they played the game. Um, and speaking of coaches real quickly, you know, I give so much credit to, uh, to Coach Popovich because Pop changed his style of play. He, he, my son, Brent, even said, he said, Scott, he said, Dad, he said, man, what I'd love to be playing the way they're playing now, getting up and down the floor. But they didn't do that much back in those days. They were more, a little more controlled. They did break it all, but they changed the thought. They changed the uh, strategy, which shows you that he was willing to adapt to his players. So that's a good thing. But, yeah, that's a heck of a team. But I will also tell you, that Manu Ginobili will get into the Hall of Fame. Okay, it's not the NBA Hall of Fame, and it's not based on your NBA career. It's based on your overall career, and they have players from overseas who have gone in and doing stuff, and Manu is a better player than them. Manu will get into the Hall of Fame, and deservedly so. Well, the probability calculator only had him at 23.8%. So well, who cares what the hell the calculator had? <laughs> what, the hell is the, what, what games did the calculator play? Did they ever play the game of basketball? You know, you know here's get the him, thing. Get hey, guys, let me just tell you something. Statistically, it's unbe- I have found out in the last, especially in the last three, four, five years, things that I accomplished that I never knew about because we never paid any attention to this stuff. The records, the analytics, the statistics. All of a sudden, I see my name pop up and say, he joins the company there. There's my name. I said, oh, really? I did that? I had no idea. Because nobody paid attention to that. We're so wrapped up in all of that. Listen, the whole thing, you play for one reason and one reason only. Winning. Winning. Try to win championships. But it also drives me nuts when I see people rating players as to far how good a player they were because they were on multiple championships. What the hell does that have to do with your talent? If you're not lucky enough to be on a team that has players good enough to win a championship, that makes you less of a player? 
That's insane. It's the most insane thing I see in these rating systems that people have. It's luck being on a team with other great players. Right. Kevin, it was your Lakers competing with my Spurs. Uh, you know, they took up most of the 2000s between the two of these guys. So why, why is your Lakers better than my Spurs? If you throw out Shaq, I'm throwing out Duncan. You throw out Kobe, I'm giving you Parker and Ginobili. Give me, oh, give so me you're one throwing good out two against my one guy. Okay. I, well, I have to. Kobe's that good. But give me, <laughs> give me, give me a reason why I should vote for your team over my team. Yeah. The so uh, the Lakers had more appearances in the finals. They had a three-peat. They had a repeat. San Antonio did not have even a repeat. But I will, I will say it was uh, pretty interesting. From '99 to 2014, it was either the Lakers or the Spurs that represented the West in the finals, with exception of three years. Two of those years, it was Dallas, and then one year was Oklahoma. So that's what, 12 out of the 15 years that our two teams represented the West? I mean, that's pretty impressive. But like I said, we had the three-peat, we also had the repeat, and you had no peat. You got a calculator, though. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, okay, that's good, Kevin. I like what does the computer? Hey, what does the computer say? Yeah, 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 that's why, yeah, Mike Adams and that nerd calculator of yours. You're not going to beat Kevin. Kevin had those stats ready to go. Good job, Kevin. That's the only time to be on your side. <laughs> All right, let's move into our vote. Remember, guys, you can't vote for your own. Brian, you're up first. Hey, uh, Brent, let me throw. Let me oh, before yeah, you guys yeah. vote. One last thing I'm going to throw into the equation here. Yep. Okay. You guys understand how much better teams would have been that you talked about back in the earlier days if they had the training and everything that's available to the players today. Like people have said to me, you know, you guys would have, a, you wouldn't be able to really play with these guys today. And I said, are you out of your freaking mind? Do you know how much better I would be if I played today? Okay. I mean, I would have, I would be stronger, quicker, faster. More endurance. We didn't have a strength coach, an agility coach, a dietitian. We did nothing, zero. And they didn't take any time off. Like now they load. No, them. that's well. That's well, especially especially if Bill Sharman was your yeah. coach, you got no time off. Man, that was like brutal. And the then one they, now, and like and Tom Thibodeau, right? He makes yeah, them play well, he's, every. He's, yeah, well, he started – was Charmin started this stupid morning shoot-around, which is one of the things I hated more than anything else. I'll tell you a quick story on that one. I hated that thing. I mean, my God, I'm playing 40-plus minutes a game doing – and we didn't have all the luxury travel, you know, heading after the game to the hotel on your chartered flight, you know, getting two, three, four hours of sleep, jumping on a commercial flight, trying to get some extra rest. I mean, it was brutal. And then not have hardly every day. I think we might have had one day off the whole season or something. It's crazy. I mean, it just makes no sense whatsoever. So anyway, I'm just telling you that, you know, teams back in those things, everybody back there would have been so much better a basketball player as far as the physical parts of things to do. And people don't really take that into consideration. I remember I visited Brent when he was at the Spurs. For, you know, you go in, you get your fingerprint to get into this closed compound. They go over there, you get breakfast in the morning if you don't want to have it. You'll work out with all these amazing things, the cold pool, the hot pool, this thing. You have your pre-workout drink. You have your post-workout drink. You can get food afterwards when you're done. You have masseuses that are on staff that can come to your house and give your <laughs> wife and you a massage. I said, hell, I want to die and come back a spur. This is, like, <laughs> unbelievable to me. <laughs> different worlds, a different world. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. I, I want to say something real quick, too. So just to kind of piggyback off that, I agree with what you just said. But nowadays, if, they, if, if the 80s Lakers and the 90s Bulls were playing uh, with these later teams, I think 
Brian's whole team would have fouled out within the first half because if you touch a player nowadays, it's a foul. Back then, you could pretty much beat the crap out of each other and nothing would happen. It's like Bill I mean, (laughs) you you say that, Kevin, but the Lakers weren't that kind of a team. They weren't like Detroit's bad boys or nothing like that. They were more more of a finesse type team. But anyways, I'm going to vote now, guys. So um, (laughs) I'm going to (laughs) go – I can't pick the Lakers. I can't pick the Showtime Lakers. I would, you know, I wish I could, but I can't pick them. So I'm going to go with the Spurs because I really like the how disciplined that team was under Popovich. I think that's why they stayed, um, you know, so good for so long. Was just a just a disciplined, very workmanlike team. So and they, they were great players too. But um, just having that whole, you know, that marriage between the talent and the great system and everything that that Popovich had going on there, I think they're the best. Kevin. Um, I always always like I always like the championships, and the Bulls have the most. Thank you. I'm gonna repay the favor. And they they had the coach uh, Phil Jackson that my Lakers had. So I'm I'm gonna go with the Bulls. (laughs) Two three peats. All right, Paul. So not just because I love Kevin, maybe a little bit too unhealthy, but. I'm going with Kevin's version of the Lakers because the first time I saw Shaquille O'Neal on the movie Blue Chips, I was concerned. I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be insane to guard. And I think Rick's got a good point, a great point, an obvious point when he says if they would have stuck together, who knows how many more they would have won because Shaq in his prime and Kobe, with he, the way he could shoot, drive, he was like – a right out of the page of Michael Jordan. You know, anybody that said something negative about him, he used it as, as motivation. If those two could have worked it out, they could have won eight or nine championships. Who knows? So my vote, this has never happened before in over mm. 35 episodes. Put in your calculator. Each team has gotten a vote because I'm taking the 80s Showtime Lakers. And you tell me – my team, Kevin's team, the Bulls team, Paul's team, nobody played Larry Bird Celtics or the Bad Boys Detroit Pistons, okay? That was the hardest titles to win right there. So I'm Dr. taking Bulls. The Bulls had and to play the Pistons. Yeah, the, yeah, they didn't get by until the Pistons were done with their run. So, so Rick, you get the final vote. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously you guys all make some good points about all the different teams, as I said before, they're, they're the best in their particular time and trying to compare them and stuff is like trying to compare apples to oranges. But uh, I would have to say, based upon the competition they had to play against, I would say the Showtime Lakers, you know, beat some unbelievably really other good teams. And then, you know, hard not to go. And also because the, the, the Lakers and the Spurs kind of like negated each other during that period of time. Um, and, and I agree with the thing about, you know, with Kobe and Shaq. And the thing is, they definitely would have won more championships if I could have convinced Shaq to shoot on the handed free throws. Um, <laughs> I remember you saying that, but don't you think the Bulls would have won more if Jordan would have dabbled around with baseball? Oh, yeah. They, yeah. No, no, no. It's not. No, I, I, I'm telling you, I like your Bulls, too. Here's, but here's the thing. I don't think they beat as good a teams as the Lakers had to beat. That's that to me. That's the differentiation. Is that you won the titles, but who was your competition? But do you think and that Lakers as many stars as the Lakers had? They had Jordan and Scotty, but you know. The rest no, no, I understand they were a great team. And doing the thing, the Lakers team was just unbelievably loaded with talent. 
and they won all those championships. And the talent that they had to beat, the other teams they had to beat. Uh, so t- to me, if I had was forced to take a vote and had to say one, which, you know, I don't like doing that kind of stuff, I, the Showtime Lakers to me are the most impressive ones because of their competition and what they accomplished. But the Bulls team, obviously, as far as dominating, really being dominating, it's pretty hard to go, you know, against against that Chicago team. That's because Brian got a new haircut, and so his team wins. Oh my God, <laughs> so that's a win for the Showtime Lakers and a win for Brian. Brian, you got the win. You get first question in our Q and A for for Rick and his career. All right, all right, okay, Rick. Um, the the seventy four seventy five season was probably your greatest year. Uh, you had the best field goal percentage of your career, most assists of your career most steals league-wide, uh, best free throw percentage in the league, and then, of course, being the finals MVP. So how did everything fall into place for that amazing season? Uh, well, let me see. So set 75, I was now 31 years old or so. So I remember Jerry West having told me when I got to know him as a rookie, that Rick, your best years are going to be 28 to 32. That's changed now with all of the way that, you know, everything these guys have working for them. It's, it's much, you can play a lot longer than that and be really at your peak. And that was, you know, at the point where physically and, and having played the game that long that I was in that period. And, but the biggest thing was it's the first time in my life I was ever captain of a basketball team. And, and I took that responsibility. I think it's a different responsibility than being a player and trying to go out there and be concerned about yourself and making sure you're ready. You got to go out there and you have to try to get your team to do that. And that's a responsibility as a captain. And I took that responsibility very seriously. And so um, I probably, even though I was always pretty focused when I stepped out on the court, uh, I was really fine-tuned and honed in there. And that's probably the biggest reason. Well, Rick, we talked about this a little bit. Things are just so different now in the NBA. So my question for you is, I love the perspective from the the previous legend. So is there a player currently that you see yourself in? And, And the second part of that would be, is there a coach in the current modern age that you think you would have thrived under? Uh, you know, let me take the second part first. Um, you don't really know how good a coach is unless you play for him and you're there all the time in practice, in the huddles. Uh, you, re- you really don't know. So that's kind of hard to say. Um, I would say the guys that are coaching today, um, I don't even like the way basketball's played today. I probably would have thrived under somebody like Steve Kerr, yeah. you know, the Warriors because of the way they play, because they played the game the way I was taught to play. The only time they got in trouble was when they got Kevin Garnett, and at times they would rely on him a little bit too much. But when they passed, moved, cut, make the extra – I mean, they were just – it was just beauty to behold. I mean, to watch the way that they could do those things and to have the talent that they have. So uh, so I, I, if I had to pick somebody out and doing it, I think they, they're playing the game the right way, and so Steve would be my choice in that regard. Um, let me see. So on the first part, you never ask two-part questions, by the way, when you do things. You always ask one part. <laughs> um, especially when you're dealing with an older guy. So I know you can uh, handle it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'd have to give that some more thought. Um, yeah. 
usually always very opinionated in doing it, but I, 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 I'd have to give that a lot of thought. Come back to it. Answer by right, the end well, of the show. Uh, yeah, okay. So you can have to probably, by the time the show's over, you probably have to remind me again about it. Go ahead. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah so your free throw percentage, I mean, you finished your career, looks like, with about 90%. I have to ask, the underhand, what, what, how did that technique come up, and how did your t- – How'd your teammates? Uh, you tell me that you haven't that. read about the fact that my father taught me how to do that in high school. I Come did on. not. Well, then you didn't do I your homework. So do that, Rick. He's too busy looking at his calculator. <laughs> well, yeah, two, that's probably it. Two, two demerits. Two demerits yep. for him. I'm yeah. with Team Rick. So thank God my father, you know, was relentless in trying to get me to make the change, and um, this girl shot that way, and so I just said I can't do that. Uh, everybody's gonna make fun of me. And he said, and I remember these words like they were yesterday, son, they can't make fun of you if you're making them. And I remember exactly when it happened that I was cool with it. I mean, I went out and gave it a CRF and said, wow, this is actually pretty darn good because I was like mid-70s. And um, my father felt I could get to be better, and I did. But I finally went out on the road, and the first game on the road was in Scotch Plains, New Jersey. I remember the city. And later in the game, I'm shooting a free throw, and the guy from the stands yell out very loudly, hey, Barry, it makes sissy shoot like that. And the guy next to him, as clear as a bell, came back. What are you making fun of him for? He doesn't miss. So from that point on, I never had a problem with uh, taking any grief or something because I said, hey, make fun of me if you want. I just put a point on a board. So you're, what was your by the way, By the way, oh, okay. by the way, I was actually better than a 90% free throw shooter. That was for my career because I shot a lot of free throws early in my career, over 10 a game. And, uh, <clears throat> and like somebody said earlier, believe me, to get over 10 of free throws a game, you take a beating back in those days. Um, so I actually, in my last six years, I was intelligent enough. I wish I had been smart enough when I was younger to refine the technique my father taught me. In my last six years, I actually shot over 92%. My last two years, I shot over 94%. I was a better free throw shooter at the end of my career than I was at the beginning. Well, I brag it? about it because it's not part of the game. You can be selfish and help your team. Right. 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 Yeah. What, what was the transition like for you going from the ABA to the NBA? Uh, like going from the penthouse to the outhouse? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was the Bush League. There's- there's no question about it. It was ridiculous. Um, but everything in life happens for a reason. And, you know, I made a lot of good friends and had some great experiences and some great memories and some bad memories. And um, if I had to do it again, I tell people, I haven't asked that question yet. If I had to do it again, provided I could be where I am today, have the wife and the amazing young other son I have today and, and all the friends that I have and knew I could have this, I would never have left. You got time for one more each? Sure. Brian. No two-parters, though. No two-parters. No two-parters, yeah. yeah. Okay, so... Um, Give me the first part. But let him... Let him okay, so you had an amazing rookie season. Uh, 25.7 points per game. Rookie of the year. Made it to the All-Star team. How were you able to get to, get off to such a great start for your pro career? Runs muted. Do you hear me now? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Great. I touched the button and muted it. Uh, I, well, here's the reason. Here's the reason why I was able to come in because very few, very I haven't looked it up, but I probably could, somebody could probably give you the answer. Uh, very few rookies come into 
the league and make first team all pro. Everybody say, oh, rookie of the year. I said, screw rookie of the year. Shit, I was first team all pro. I mean, I mean, I'm, I got a picture that I look at sometimes. I go down there with guys that were my idols. You know, Elgin Baylor was my basketball hero. And I got the guard and play against him. I'm on there with Jerry West and Oscar Robertson and Will Chamberlain. I'm going, oh, my God. And But the only reason it happened is because back then, I you stayed in school four years, and I had a former pro coach, Bruce Hale, who was my, my coach in college, who was one of the top pro players, who played an up-tempo style. We played man-to-man defense. And it was like being in the in the minors for four years to come up and play, to be honest with you. It was easier for me to play in the NBA than it was in the NCAA. Wow. In the NCAA, I'm playing against boxing one, diamond and two, you know, crazy. I mean, the triangle and two. It, was, it just was crazy. And I'm going up there, oh, my God, I only have one guy guarding me. This is amazing. I love this. <laughs> and so uh, I in, in college, hell, in my senior year in college, we averaged no, no three-point shot. 99 points a game. Wow. So it was great. And then I and then I could run like crazy. Bill King tried to dub me the Miami Greyhound and never stuck, but I, I never stuck, but I could, you know, I could run. I was faster than our guards. And uh and I had a great point guard who I knew if I got open, he would want to get assists. So I, I'd get the ball. That's why I like the guards that like assists as opposed to the scoring part guard. And uh Guy Rogers, you know, who was amazing. And so that's why the next year people didn't think that I was, you know, that big a score. Oh, he runs and he does all this stuff, but, you know, can he shoot and stuff? So I really went and worked really hard that offseason on my outside mid-range shooting to try to do something that I knew I would, was going to be asked to do. And so people were going to try to take the drive away from me because I could drive and run the floor. And so I remember that. And I think I started the season off scoring over like 40 a game because everybody was just letting me have open shots and started making them. And all of a sudden now he has to come up and guard me. And anytime a guy has to come up to guard you, if you can drive left, drive right, you can shoot the ball and he has to guard you. Honestly, you own him. Oh. Rick, um, currently the playoffs, the finals are going on and the Suns kind of, I mean, they were solid last year, but they kind of came out of nowhere. What are we missing? Like, we, I know we're on the East Coast over here, so we're not getting to follow them. But what are they doing right this year? That I mean, because they've gone through some decent teams, and, you know, the star-studded teams seem to have fallen out, and they seem to be handily, you know, taking care of Giannis, uh, who's uh, a rising star, obviously. What are they doing right? Playing like a team, and then – it shows you what happens when you get someone who, well, especially a point guard who's a veteran point guard who knows how to play the game. I mean, it's about leadership. And then at a coach who, again, is letting them do the things that they're capable of doing and putting in situations where they can thrive. I mean, when I coached in the minor leagues, one of the things I did that I never had done for me in my entire career, I asked my players, I want two things from you. I want you to give me two plays or three plays that you have either had run for you in your career or that you wish was run for you. And the other thing was I want you to give me an evaluation of your skills offensively and defensively, you know, the pluses and the minuses. The second part, the second one I just talked about, you know, I just wanted to see if they were really being honest about and evaluating themselves as a player because, hell, I knew what the hell they can do and what they can't do. But I just wanted to see if they were going to be honest. But the first the first one was the most important one. When I look at those plays, that player is going to show me where on the court does he have the most confidence, his ability to score. So if I want to put certain sets in, can I put the ball in my team and my, my player's hands 
in a situation where he's going to have that confidence. And if I can't, I'll use his play. That's what you got to do. You got to take advantage of the talent of your players. And I think the Suns are doing that. Did you happen to think of a player that you see yourself in yet? Well, everybody used to say, it would have been before, but, you know, it was Larry Bird. You know, and that was the one that always came up and talked about. Uh, and that's what I'm trying to say, to give some thought to it as far as today. Yeah. I give some serious thought to it. But I'll tell you, no, no one, no one would do it that I see myself in because no one does what I did, which is to actually catch the ball and not start dribbling. Everything is off the freaking dribble. The closest one I saw to doing something that way and being successful with it uh, was Carmelo Anthony. Okay. But in today's game, doing stuff, they dribble. Even I mean, it's like even Steph Curry who catches it and releases it right away. Oh no, no. How about how about Clay Thompson who yeah. catches and releases? Yeah. You yeah. Yeah. Catch and release. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. No, I'm talking about catching the ball and having and, and looking to see how the man is guarding you and using your first dribble as a productive dribble. A bounce is a pass to yourself, not to your teammate for a basket. If I'm dribbling and I get the ball in the wing and I'm dribbling, trying to do all this stuff to get my man out of position, take a shot. And my teammate sees that his man turns his head and watches what the ball is doing. And he back cuts to the basket and I just dribbled the ball. I can't get the ball to him for an easy basket. But when I have it on the wing, now a point guard needs to do that. He has to do it to get the ball in position. And all. But I'm talking about the wing players to catch it. When I have the ball in my hands, I'm, I'm, I'm a real weapon because I can make the pass. I can shoot. I can go left. I can go right. Because I try to teach. I just was doing a clinic actually in Jerusalem. And I was telling these kids, when you come out, catch the ball so you're square to the basket with no pivot foot. Because if you establish a pivot foot, you've given 50% of your offense away. And so if I'm there, I can then analyze how my guy's guarding me. And I can try to be, a, be able to take advantage of how he's guarding me by which foot he has forward, whether he's shading me one way or another. I don't see players doing that at all today. I really don't. And here's the thing I try to tell some of the people when I do clinics, you don't have to beat your man. All you have to do is get half a step. If you get him on your shoulder, you own him. And it's so easy to do, but yet it's like, it's kind of like the, the way the mid-range jump shot was, you know, kind of disappearing for a while. Fortunately, it's starting to come back a little bit, but it's just disappearing. I mean, like, like big men. I mean, my God, we hardly have any guys that want to play down on in the post and go inside out. So anyway, that's uh, that's my thoughts on that, Kevin. I'm watching the game, by the way, when I'm talking to you, and so it looks like uh, you know it's still still anybody's uh, anybody's game. Yeah. Yeah. Kevin, good. <clears throat> so uh, in the 1965 draft, you went number two to San Francisco. Um, am I reading this right? That you wanted uh, your well, you're hoping that the, that the Knicks would would draft you, and if so. How, how do you think your career would have spanned out? Would it be any different, you think, Bill if you Bradley. went to the Knicks instead of – It took Bill Bradley. Boom. Yep. And I never forgot him. Yeah. I never you used his motivation, that. didn't you? I, I, no, I certainly Yeah, did. you scored 57 yeah. points yeah. against him that one game. Bill no, no, I scored 50. I, I scored a bunch of 50s mm -hmm. against him because Ned Irish, the owner, also said <laughs> when asked about not drafting me, he said he's too skinny and flaky. So I said, well, he may have been correct, but he sure as hell should have taken me because I was a better player. And yeah. – uh, you know, and and I I could have fit in really well doing that, but everything in life happens for a reason. It was great for me to go where I went and the way that they played with Alex Hannum and a team that you know needed somebody to do what I did. So, 
you know, you can't look back in the past, but yeah, I, I felt, I, I couldn't understand why they didn't take me. I mean, seriously, I, mean, I was like crazy. I mean, I, I was young. I mean, re, I mean, very young, you know, but the thing is I could play. I mean, I knew how to play and I didn't have, I didn't have a glaring weakness and I could go left and go right and I could shoot and I could make free throws and I understood weak side defense. Uh, and, you know, because it's not about it. You don't win with individual defense. Trust me. Because you get five great individual players on the court, I guarantee you put the best defensive player on me, I'm going to whip his ass a bunch of times, and we're going to get a lot of easy layups because my other players will do the same thing to a guy. I mean, that's you know that's the the, the term I hear from former players when it drive me nuts when I'm watching games. Well, he's a lockdown defender. Trust me. If you're going up against a scorer, there's no such thing as a lockdown defender. You can lock down a shooter. You can't lock down a scorer. Sorry, end of story. You can make maybe more shots, but you're not locking me down. You just better pray I'm having a bad night. <laughs> so we'll get you out of here with this one. You have so many personal accolades, so many stats, you know, steals leader, finals MVP, scoring champions. The only guy to lead the league in scoring for NCAA, ABA, and NBA. That's never going to happen again. We know that. Uh, is there one, like, that accomplishment that sticks out the greatest to you? Or was it more just, you know, the team winning the championship that is is your your favorite memory, so to speak? Well, of course, of course, the championship. That's why, as I said before, that's why you play. I mean, I got this is my you know championship ring. I don't wear it to all the fame ring, top 50 ring. That's what it's all about. I mean, that's the greatest accomplishment to do it as a team. But as far as the individual stuff is concerned, the things that I, I take pride in and, and some things I just learned recently with all the statistical garbage, that's actually pretty cool. Uh, but the number one thing is, is that at one time I had 25 rebounds in a game against that great 76ers team with Luke Jackson and Will Chamberlain and all. I had 25 rebounds my career high. So that was kind of cool. And then I, I think I still have the record for the most assists by a forward. Uh, and I did it in Chicago. So I figured, I said, well, whatever I had, obviously, I think it was 19. I probably had, you know, a few more because I'm sure the statistician screwed me in Chicago. So uh, anyway, that that's th those are ones that I really liked. And then I just learned one that – I had no idea. And I bet you if you asked anybody, you would never have anybody give me to be the answer. The player in the history of the NBA with the highest scoring average in NBA finals in his career. Yeah. Crazy. I had no idea. Absolutely none. I wouldn't even guess myself for you sure. You were a point <laughs> machine, man. You were a point machine. So, You're going to have but another I tell you what, coming. I got more. Hey, but here's the thing. If I was, if I came back, if I could come back and play now, I, I'd want to be a point guard. I could I could have done that because of my size and quickness. And they said, oh, point forward, hey, I could dribble righty, lefty, and crossover. But you can learn how to do all these other things. You just get in the drill, gym and you do drills, two ball drills, whatever. You can turn yourself into a hell of a ball handler. But what I had is what I tell people you can't teach. I can teach you how to pass. Can't teach you how to see. Right. That's the one quality that I think you have to look for when you're a scout. And I think a lot of scouts have no clue because some of the people these guys draft are beyond my comprehension. You've got to have that natural feel for the game. That's the players who really become super great players. Well, you should have another ring on the way. The 75th anniversary team probably be coming out uh, pretty soon. So we look forward to seeing you on that list. Well, guys, hey, cares. Enjoy. Always like talking the game that's been so good to uh, my family and to me. And uh, and hopefully it'll uh, it'll get better and stop doing all this one on one crap and shoot nothing but three point shots. I kind of hate watching some of the basketball I watch right now. 
Well, thank you Thanks for joining for us tonight. Thank you for watching, everybody. All right. Yeah. All right. God bless everybody. Oh, let me get a plug in. Yeah, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. One yeah, last plug. plug. And it's going to be up and operating, but you know, please check out rickberry24.com. I'm redoing the whole website. There's going to be a lot of amazing, cool things on there that I'm involved with that I think would be some benefits to other people. So check out rickberry24.com. Uh, it will eventually be up and operating. I don't know exactly when, but uh, hopefully very soon. And we'll, we'll post that information as well in the group page, okay? Thanks a lot. Appreciate it, guys. Appreciate Take it. care. Bye-bye.